left my family. I left my kids. I left my nightclubs, my parking company, $35 million to fight the fight. And both families, Gambino and the Bonanno family, Joe Messina, the boss of the Bonanno family, I helped him against the guys that were ratting against him. He turned state evidence into worldwide. His underboss, Sal Vitale, came in and he ratted. The captain, Frankie Copa, he ratted. And alongside them, there was other guys in their family that ratted. Along with my family, the boss, John Gotti Jr., he ratted. Ronnie Warnham, you have the opening statement. He ratted. He said that I would kill him if he wasn't nice to me. After I tried to help him beat the case. Mikey Scars, DeLonardo, John Gotti Jr.'s right-hand man. He ratted. Greg De Palma, another one of John Guy's made guys. He ratted. Fat Dom, another one of his made guys. He ratted. Mikey Scars had Joe, little Joey D'Angelo and John Jr. had him rat because they turned on him. He had nowhere to go. Another guy, Mikey Scars' brother, well, they, they buried him. So he had a flip. He had to come in. And I won't use the word rat for these guys because these guys were left in no man's land by all the captains, made guys, giving these guys up one at a time. And we're live. Another edition of the Johnny and Gene Show. I'm Felix Levine. We've got Gene Borello, John Alight, and our guest today, Nick Christophers. Nick, thank you uh, for being on the show today. Thank you very much. So, author, I mean, there's a lot of different things you do. Mm. Uh, I feel like it's almost disrespectful to not let my guests introduce themselves. Um, go ahead and take away, just for a little bit of, uh, you know, for the people that don't know you, a little bit of background on yourself, because um, uh, you'll do better than I will. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm an author. I've been a writer for over 20 years. Um, I came up with a lot of guys that John happens to know, we mutually know, uh, growing up. And uh, that's what got me into, you know, writing in the subject area because I'm familiar with uh, most of it. And um, I've, I've been on TV, I've been on radio many times. I had the pleasure of doing a book with John called Prison Rules that we'll probably discuss later on. And that's pretty much in a nutshell. And so how did you first kind of get interested in anything mafia, mob-related? Um, well, I, I was bullied when I was a kid. I was beat up every day after school and grammar school. And then when I got into junior high school, I happened to meet with one of the guys who happens to be Greek, one of my people, and he was the head of a street gang in the school. And I got close to him, then I eventually joined them. And everybody that picked on me in elementary school, I jumped in junior high school. And uh, I got suspended five times in the meantime. But uh, then that's what got me into, you know, hanging out with guys like this. A lot of the guys used to, uh, a lot of the wise guys used to come to my dad's cafe, like Vicarina and all them. And I got close to them. And I knew them. Got very friendly, and that's what kind of got me into that mode of knowing these people and knowing this kind of stuff. And uh, later on, you know, uh, I began writing about it. And so, what was the first, uh, your first time you heard anything about this guy over here? I mean, you know, we, we all know his. His violent past, what he was—I mean, a lot tout him as one of the most violent people of of that era. Yes, but for was. you, what was uh, the first time you had heard about him, and then kind of his reputation, at least back in the in those days? Well, in those days, uh, he his—I heard of him. I mean, I heard his name many times uh, from different individuals, 
um, especially one of the arena boys. And uh, then, then later on, later on, we met later on in life, uh, a couple of years ago actually, uh, through a friend of ours, uh, Ed, and uh, that's where we connected, and we've been uh, close ever since. So what was it like? I mean, you can even talk about it too. The process of writing um, Gotti's Rules. You guys co-authored it together. Um, you know how who approached who to to start it, and then how did it? What was the writing process like? Well, Gotti's Rules was by George Anastasia. Right. We wrote. Prison rules. Excuse me, prison rules. When Nick got in touch with me through some articles, uh, some magazine articles were written about me. He was doing magazines. He used to do a magazine called Mob Candy. And uh, we had a discussion about the arenas who he was talking about was one of the bosses of the Colombo family that were very familiar with me. And uh, he's he's seen that I was on the path of uh, trying to help a lot of kids. I was doing a lot of uh, uh, talks at colleges, high schools, juvenile centers around not just New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, out of the country also. And he said, uh, would you be interested going on a bigger scale into a book called Prison Rules where we can talk to kids about the pitfalls and adults of uh, the violence that you committed and not to commit it and how do you restrain yourself? And uh, we expanded on it, we sat, we met, and uh, we developed a book together and we thought it would be a good idea, to, uh, obviously, to put that out to help some people that are in, uh, in trouble with crime. And what was the biggest thing that you learned from co-writing Prison Rules with, with John? I learned a lot about prison that I didn't know about, and it blew my mind. Um, I th John actually had the idea of doing it, whereas to educate and influence the younger generation, men and women, uh, that street life is not the way to go. And that's what the book is really about. It's catered to that audience. Um, and uh, learning about what his life was like uh, in this prisons, especially in Brazil, that completely blew my mind. It was something that was basically uh, eye-opening. And for, I mean, we talk about it in some other episodes, but for you, Gene, um, you know, in your experiences, I'm also kind of curious as to when you first got in, uh, you know, maybe the misconceptions that you thought prison would be like that it then turned out not to be, you know, because I think I could imagine for, for anybody that, that goes in, you might think it's one way, it might be a little bit different, for you going in maybe the first time when you were younger, what was what was that kind of first experience like? Well, I mean, I was going to Rikers Island, so I knew it was going to be a hellhole. I just didn't know it was going to be that bad. You know, I knew it was going to be bad. <laughs> I just didn't know it was going to be that bad. You know what I mean? So um, it was a it was a lot a lot worse than I thought. Um, uh, for me, when I got up north, it was actually a little better. People came together more. You know what I mean? But Rikers Island was total chaos. So um, for anyone that thinks that it's, um, oh, it's not that bad. It, not, it's not Brazil, obviously. It's a third world country, you know, anything goes. Rikers Island, pretty much anything goes, but not people's heads getting chopped off and stuff like that. But, you know, stabbings and cuttings and beatings every day. So for any kid that doesn't know what they're going into, they're walking into a war zone, you know? And that and that's exactly what happened. I walked into a war zone. That's what it was. Did you feel ever really protected? I mean, what was that daily basis? Well, I'm going to name it like this. First off, we're white, okay? When you go in and you're white, right away you're a target, okay? But I was Italian, so my accent kind of, you know, they kind of like Italian people, whatever. But when you're a white, you get targeted right away. They're going to try to take your stuff. They're going to try to take your PIN number. They're going to try to extort you. They're not going to let you sit in the chair. you got to fight to sit in the chair. You're not going to be able to sit down at the table to eat. You have to fight for everything in Rikers Island. You can't Frosted Flakes. You can't eat your Frosted Flakes because they're going to take them. So this is what I'm saying. This is what happens in there. You have to fight for everything. And especially when you're Caucasian, it's even worse for you.
Mm. And then how do you kind of just manage on a daily basis to stay out of trouble? I mean, I know there's some... You you can't... Rikers Island, it's like it finds you. So when you say certain spots you go to and you could really just fall back a little bit. And there, you can't fall back. It's tension 24-7. And John, we talk about that kind of power structure of when you're in a in a prison. I mean, I know that some people are probably viewed a certain way. You probably had your own reputation. Um, will you talk about, you know, if there is kind of a different power structure, power dynamic, and where you kind of fell during the various prison stints that you had? Well, I think what me and Nick were talking about with uh, prison rules or what Gene's talking about, the biggest thing that people got to understand, anybody going to any county jail, any prison, any state facility is it's intimidating, especially when it's your first time through the box. You know, when you don't know the system, everything's unknown to you. You're going to be tried on a, ca- a regular basis, like he said. So you got to kind of navigate yourself through the problems. And then you also got to navigate uh, how violent you're going to be. You got to remember something. You got guys in there doing 20 and 30 and 40 years. And then you got guys what we call skid bids are doing two years. So you're not going to want to take it to the level that these other guys are, but you're also not going to want to let them take advantage of you. So there's, in the book, Prison Rules, it discusses all these techniques of how to kind of navigate yourself through it. And, uh, you know, I think Nick did a good job of, uh, you, know, you know, showing that throughout the book on how we do that because it, it's a complicated situation when you're in prison. Are there some, you know, not to give away the whole book, but some smaller techniques or previews that you could give to people who haven't um, read prison rules on some of those techniques that you use to navigate the whole prison system and daily survival. Yeah, without, I mean, here, here's a, a, a major thing, like, because what Gene said, uh, commissary comes around, most young guys that never been to prison or naive men, women, they go out and they spend whatever your limit is at the jail, the facility at, whether it's 100 to 300, usually around 300 mark. So they'll go out and they'll buy everything. You're the first guy they're going to rob. They're going to come in, they're going to test you. So what you do is when you first go to prison, you buy essentials, maybe $10, $15 worth of your cosmetics that you need to stay for your hygiene, and that's it, until you know your way around the facility. And then you can go step up and and spend $100 or $200. But you got to feel your way around, see who you know, see if you meet a guy like myself that is going to come in and not target you, that's going to pull you in and try to be, especially when the younger guys come in because, you know, we all got kids. As you're getting older, when the young guys come in, you try to pull them in and take care of them. You try to teach them the ropes. And you make sure if guys around the facility see that they're staying with us, they don't step to them. But if they're a loner, yeah, they're easy, easy mark. So, you know, you got to just take your time when you walk around the facility. And then the biggest thing besides that is guys get comfortable after they're in a facility. They think everything's okay. That's when they end up usually getting stabbed up, beat up, robbed. Because they start thinking they're at college, they're not in jail anymore, and mm-hmm. uh, and that's a new issue. Would you say most guys come in well, fearful? Well, it's like this: in Rikers Island, if you tell anyone to invite anybody to your private, you're getting cut. If you say anything with that words in jail, it's all about respect too. Like if you bump into somebody and don't say excuse me, I seen a guy get cut over that. He came back, says why don't you say excuse me to me, and they got into it. Everything's about respect because you gotta understand some these guys are so upset and mad they're facing a ton of time. They got no one looking out for them. You know, they're looking for anything. They're looking for trouble. So it's all about respect, the little things. It's the littlest things that have put you into a war in there. You didn't wipe the phone down after you used it or something ridiculous where they're coming up to you with a knife or a weapon because it's all about respect in there. Mm. That's how it is. And do you think most people go into those jails fearful or intimidated? Well, like I said, Rikers Island is all gangs. 
So it's all Bloods, Crips, it's all gang members. So when they go in there, usually, a lot of times they're with their other gangs. Guys like me, they ain't with gangs. Mafia, we're not in this, in Rikers Island. We're in the feds. So I'm by myself. So of course you're going to be nervous. You don't know what you're walking into. You know what I mean? You walk into a house, you got to just, like he said, you go small the first week, you observe, you watch everything. You see who's who, what's going on. There's slot time on the phone. You can't get on the phone anytime you want. You touch that phone at a certain time, you're going to get jumped. So it's like, it, it, you, like he said, you have to watch them observe and see who's who and sit back and, and, and feel the house out. Now, Nick, is there something in, in writing prison rules that you learned about prison that you had no idea about or, you know, some big revelation that working with John kind of brought to, brought to the surface? Yeah, certain things he, he, he pointed out uh, that you got to be aware of while you're in prison. I mean, the whole thing was an experience for me in general. I mean, I, I was only arrested once. Thank God I never went to prison. Uh, but just being in the cell alone woke me up not to go down that path. Um, plus, my father had a lot to do with it. And he was, you know, he was a great father and guided me in the right way. Um, but the thing that was interesting about the book was because I've heard a lot from other guys prior to meeting John, other friends of mine that we did time, uh, but there's a lot of things they didn't tell me that he told me. Things like, you don't gamble in prison. Bad huh. idea. Uh, certain things that, uh, respect, like what Gene was saying, like when you're in the mess hall, when you're ready to leave, you tap on the table to let everybody know you're leaving. Now, do you know why they do that? To let you know they're leaving the table because so you're not plotting on somebody. Well, at least in New York State, that's how it is. You knock because you have to let the person know you're getting up. Because if you get right. up without knocking, you think you're making a move on them. That's real maximum security stuff oh, right interesting. there. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, things of that nature right. is what I kind of learned. Uh, that was a little more, a little different than what I already knew. Gotcha. Now, will you kind of, um, because you were around during that time to, to know about John and his kind of everything he was doing in his violent past, will you put in a perspective for maybe like the younger generation or people who aren't really familiar with what it was like during that period? Uh, what, you know, put in perspective John's place within the mafia and his role in his notoriety, I guess. Well, he, he's, he was one of the toughest guys around on the street. And I'm not just saying that because I'm his friend. It's the fact. I mean, he was one of the toughest guys in the Gambino family. Uh, he basically, John Jr. couldn't walk around the block without him being there. Uh, he was like a bulletproof vest, so to speak. Uh, for him, and he was a pretty tough guy, meaning uh, he didn't take no, I wasn't sure if I can say it or not, but he didn't take no shit from nobody. Um, and if something had to get done, something had, he was had no qualms about taking a bat or anything that was necessary to protect whatever he needed in, within the family. And was there any, was there any, uh, I guess, do you have any qualms about working with him on a book, or what was that kind of, you know, uh, experience, I guess, overall from start to, to end, and how we guys just kind of talk about the how you guys worked on it. Was it him telling you stories? I mean, um, working with him was great. I had no qualms about it at all. I, I enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, he's a complete gentleman, and he knows what he's talking about. There's no BS with him. Very black and white. Um, the way we did it is because we didn't live near each other. He lived, you know, and we did everything by phone. He would call in, and I tape record it. And then you know transcribe it, and then put it together in the book. Send it back to them. Let them review it. Stuff like that, back and forth. It took about about a year, year and a half, something like that, for us to put it all together. And for you, John, what what is authoring? I mean, night multiple um, authoring books like for you? I mean, I, did you ever imagine when you were when you were in jail or in a previous life that one day you would be authoring <laughs> or co-authoring different books? 
Well, this book here was uh, more important to me than Gotti's Rules or Darkest Hour or any other books because of uh, the uh, motivation I had, I guess, for helping younger guys or adults get in trouble because you got so, so many uh, jackasses out there, right? So you could talk about our show or somebody else's show. But when we're talking about prison rules, we're talking about saving somebody's life. We're talking about saving a kid's life so they don't go this way. But you got so many morons that they're out there and they talk garbage and they talk shit, and they're only affected and hurting kids. Sometimes they're trying to get at me, they're trying to get at somebody else, trying to get at him, trying to get at you. But the bottom line is the message is to save some lives, right? So when they're doing that, these are usually weak guys that do this, right? And that's why I'm always talking about different ethnic groups. And in the book, we talk about this. And we talk about guys like, uh, you know, I was telling Nick I wanted to t uh, talk about a little bit about Spiro today, who was one of the Greek bosses. Uh, they tried to hit him, the Gambino film, they tried to hit him with a shotgun. Back in the day, he's uh, doing life. He's about 85 years old now. Mm -hmm. And uh, hopefully, sh shortly, we'll have his son on, who I really uh, happen to like. I think he's a good kid. And uh, we're going to talk about how this life destroys structure of families and some of the real things that we discuss in the book that people really don't want to discuss because you got cowards out there, especially in this day and age, with telephones and, and computers and they type away <laughs> and they make comments and they're only hurting those kids. They're such cowards that they don't even have, you know, they, get, they go to Dassey. I, I, I really want to know who their fathers are, not even them that they're trying to hurt kids' lives by you know feeding it to the bullshit of the street when they don't know nothing about the street, really. They're just big mouths the type of way. So the book really tries to authenticate what the street's about and the uh, adversity of the street and the treachery and the real, uh, that people that uh, may get in trouble or in, find themselves in some trouble, it helps them to, to get out of trouble or survive through these jails. Now we're just gonna take a quick break because we are happy to announce our, uh, our sponsorship with Manscaped. Support for The Johnny and Gene Show is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for all of your family jewels. They just redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team has spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. And thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology, you will be receiving the most premium premium electric trimmer ever known to man. The water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower and has an LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is convenient charging dock powered by USB. Get 20% off and free shipping when you use co promo code G JG at manscaped.com. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping. Use the code JG at manscaped.com. Gentlemen, your balls will thank you. <laughs> now let's get back into it. Um, you were talking earlier about family structure and how uh, this life really destroys it. For you, being around a lot of, uh, you know, mob guys and listening to their stories and stuff like that. Will you talk about, I mean, I think it's interesting to hear the the outside look about seeing these, you know, mob guys that have their families and lives destroyed. Will you kind of touch on it and see, um, you know, I guess for the kids and people out there telling them why not to get into this life, um, how it truly does destroy those, well, those families? Well, I have a great example. Uh, a very good friend of mine, uh, Nikki, 
Uh, he's in. He's doing life right now in um, Allen. In um, uh, he was in Allen, but he got moved. But he's in, in PA. Um, he was a guy, uh, a made guy in the, in the PA family, Philadelphia family. Um, and we mentioned this in the book actually, how long it lasts that you're away from your wife or from your kids, and how things can change. And things changed with Nick. His, his wife left him. Uh, that's one example. Um, uh, and his, his sons. <coughs> And his niece and his mother and so forth, uh, communication is is bro- broken down over time. Um, I see that, hear that from him all the time when we talking. He calls me from from prison, or if he writes me, and um, I feel bad for the guy because he's losing his family very one by one, and that's one big thing that uh, guys who uh, want to think about even going down that road that hmm. this is very possibly to happen you can lose your girlfriend your wife your kids it it's a terrible way to the to live and this is one uh subject that john actually mentions in the book and for i mean for you guys uh i know you guys have touched upon it on on past episodes but maybe for for people who haven't seen them will you give maybe an example or two on how being in that life and going to jail affected perhaps personal relationships friendships um and just kind of affected your life in general, maybe even when you got out afterwards as well? Well, I don't think it's just, obviously, I mean, I can relate it to myself, but it's not just me. It's everybody that goes to prison. You lose the ties in relation to, to, to your family. That's one of the things why I'm always talking about uh, different things, hopefully, that uh, I'm working on prison reforms with uh, two-to-one uh, good days you get, and you can get out early, early release programs, different things to implement you back into society but while you're away it's impossible to maintain a family relationship with your children with your spouse with your girlfriend uh, if it's a girl her remaining of friendships or relationships with a boyfriend or husband because of the the proximity number one to where you are. people have to go to work they don't have time kids are involved in their own lives uh, sports uh, activities with school so it's just it's not conducive to having any kind of real relationship so you know you're gonna lose the family family and the kids are gonna lose the family values of having a parent and it's just a breakdown in in the system and that's why it needs a lot of change so that uh, people can have some sort of relationship because it's impossible to maintain from from all these you know impossible standards that that are put in place that you can't have a family relationship. And by the phone, it doesn't work. And as the kids get older, uh, there's issues. And if your kids are sick and you're not there, uh, there's animosity uh, through the, you're not there through anything in their life. And rightfully so, they're gonna have animosity because they just, you know, they're hurting inside. And as they, and when they're kids, they can't communicate their feelings as you get older. And it comes out in a negative way as, as they get older. And for Eugene? Like, I, he, he's, he's so right. But the thing for me is I did, I did over 10 years in prison, right? And I did about four years of it in Rikers Island, right? You only get 21 minutes every six hours on the phone. How can you actually keep a relationship with somebody or your kids or anything with 21 minutes every six hours? For them to come visit you, it takes them about six hours to get in, and they only could stay for one hour. So when you go to jail, you lose connection with everybody. Nine out of ten times, you're going to lose your girlfriend. Your kids are going to going to start to resent you or, you know, not speak to you no more. Um, it depends on, you know, if you have a good family and support system. Like, I had a good mom. If I didn't, I would have had nothing in jail. 
So it's like when you go in there, you, all these friends, all these people that are supposed to be by your side, they disappear because an old timer once told me, he goes, Gene, nobody cares. Except for the main people you have in your life, your mom, your dad, or whatever, nobody cares. When you go away, you're just another number that said, oh yeah, he got 10 years, who gives a shit about him? And that's how it usually happens. So most of the time you're gonna lose your girlfriend, you're gonna lose, now you're gonna lose everybody you care about. And that's usually the ending for everybody. I never, you might get a percent or two that people, that they stay around, but it's rare. And how do you guys mentally stay, um, I guess, sane knowing that, uh, you know, your relationships are destroyed and if, I mean, you had kids when you were in jail uh, that, you know, your kids were you know, without their dad for a while. I mean, well, what is that like? Well, here's the, here's what I'm talking about. These fake tough guys that are on the street typing away. Uh, the truth is, and I know some serious killers. I'm not talking about myself as a violent guy. I'm talking about other guys now. I watch guys break down and cry. And that's the pain of jail. Being locked up in jail isn't the, the part about being locked up in jail. I think most guys in the street can accept that part and deal with that part. But the pain comes with uh, the financial burden on your family when they're suffering, nobody has money, they're running all over the street, they don't have a house to live in, an apartment to live in. You're watching this from the inside. It's killing you. At the same time, your family's so angry at you. So that's the part, like when people are talking, you know, you got to talk honest so these kids and these young adults see the pain of the crying that you do. When see people act like they weren't crying, they're so full of shit. I'm not talking about physical pains, nothing. I've been stabbed up, I've been shot. I go over this all the time where people say, well, you know, he hurt a lot of guys. And I got hurt a lot. I got batted. That's the easy pain. We all can accept physical pain. That, that goes away after a while. You get hurt and that's it. But when you got uh, mental pain, that's the part that, you know, when Nick goes to visit and he went up and I brought up Spiro earlier, uh, Greek boss, tough guy, uh, gentleman, family guy, destroyed his own family too because of this. And Nick could tell you when he goes to visit, these visits, like he said, it takes hours to get in. But how about some of these trips? You got to go eight hours, 10 hours yeah. out of state. It's not, it's not it's not feasible for a family financially or any otherwise. And Nick could tell you, right, Nick? I mean, mm -hmm. you, you went to these places. You visited Spiro. You know what he said to you. Yeah. Well, I visited Spiro and Nicky. Uh, they were hey, both in PA. Nick, you know what was one of the worst feelings for me? I know on a Friday, Saturday night, like when you get ready to go out, you know, you get ready by 8, 9 o'clock, we're laying down, locking in for the night. And I used to kill me. Lay down, you know, everybody's out having fun, everybody's doing your thing, and you're going to bed at 9 o'clock with your fucking lights out. And I used to be like, damn, what the hell did I do to myself? So you just sit in that cell when it locks, and you're just sick to your stomach. I don't care who you are. You know, that it's the same feeling you're going to get. Damn, man, we're going to bed at 9 o'clock. I'm a grown man. Well, you, know you can mean? think about Valentine's Day. Yeah. Or right. New anything. Year's Eve, anything. Christmas How, Eve. Anything. Uh, your son's christening, yeah. graduation for your kids. I mean, I go through all the holidays right. that people don't understand the pain. So that's why it infuriates me, not personally, when these morons are writing when you're trying to get a message across to children out in the streets. Now, to wrap things up, Nick, will you kind of, um, because again, we're trying to stick to this message, I guess, in the end of, and everything that we're, we've been talking about today is, is really on par with telling kids and grown men too, and women, uh, to stay away from the life. You've seen it more from the outside looking in. Um, will you just, I guess, kind of tell people, now that you've been around for a long time around uh, people that have had their lives destroyed, been in jail, uh, you know, I guess uh, the big lesson on, and, and maybe a way in which you can uh, advise people to stay out of trouble and stay away from this life. Well, I forgot to mention earlier, 
I even had a more personal experience. My uncle went away for eight years, and my cousin went away for two years. So it was even closer to home, actually, for me, which I didn't mention earlier. Um, and when he went away for eight years, it was kind of weird not seeing my uncle anymore at any weddings, christenings, blah, blah, everything, you name it. Uh, his kids, his grandkids, he didn't see even, even his grandkids even born until they came home. Um, and he told me of, uh, of his experience. I asked him, I go, what was it like? You know, not being able to be here for your kids, your grandkids. It tore him up. Forget him. He didn't even look like the same guy when he came out. It was, he looked different. He looked, he looked, it showed in his face the emotion, the mental drain that John was talking about. Um, what I would suggest for kids, I mean, speak, listening to what John says, what Gene says, is a great message. It's something to learn, that uh, the street life is definitely not the way to go that uh, prison life is it's not glamorous like you might see on TV or whatever. It's nothing is what they expect it to be. Um, it's definitely a very um, disheartening situation where it destroys everything around you, family and uh, you can, whatever that you had at one time that was pure has now turned to nothing. You know what kids got to think, uh, Felix, is any person that's ever shot me, hurt me, batted me, stabbed me, I either killed, shot, stabbed, I... Uh, just completely brutalized them. Not one person ever got away with it with me, right? Through all my years, and I've been stabbed up twice, bat batted a couple of times, shot, and I got even with everybody. And I'm trying to tell these kids at the time, uh, it's harder not to do something, because the hardest thing I do now in my life is, you know, I'm still the same person, not going to shoot or kill the guys that I wanna, right? Because there's guys that try to agitate me and I don't do it anymore, right? I hold myself back. And uh, if I can do it and control myself and work at it and practice at it and work myself, not that you're going to get mad, this and that, but you got to say your life's worth more than their life. Because by doing that and getting even, you ruin your life. So that's what I want kids to understand. I feel what you're saying because I know a lot of these kids, they're saying, man, I don't care. I'm going to get that guy. But at the end, when you get that guy, you just get yourself. So that's really got to be the message. They need to work on themselves mentally to be able to control themselves so they don't butcher that guy they want to butcher. Because I understand the mentality. And it's like exercise, you must exercise your brain. Yeah, well said. Um, Nick, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. People can find your work at nickchristophers.org, I Correct. believe. Um, Correct. You've got your book with uh, John, Prisons Rules, and uh, a whole lot of other content that they can find, photos, artwork, all your books are up there. Is there anything else that you want to tell the masses? Uh, well, no, just I mean, it's great being here. It was a pleasure working with John. Prison Rules is a great book to have. It's a good educational tool for any young kid or for any parent that has a kid in, in prison. It's a great assistance for them, and John's a great guy for them to reach out to for any kind of advice. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you, Nick. All right. Thank you, Nick. Perfect.